AI Mentors is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting and networking needs. Our podcast, AI Mentors, brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI Mentors cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. You're listening to AI Mentors. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Adam Waxman. Adam is the Director of Engineering at BlackRock. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. Great. Adam, let's start with uh, a little bit of background of yourself, your journey, how you first got involved in technology and uh, some, of the, some of the interesting roles you've held along the way. I've done you know, a lot of pretty different things over the years. Uh, my, my earliest work was actually in neuroscience quite a while back. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time working in scientific areas early in my career. Um, did a little bit in physics, um, and, then, and then obviously the most part in computer science. Um, and that's where my PhD was in, in computer architecture and computer science. So I've worked in a lot of different tech areas and, and sort of science areas since then. I did an internship at Facebook. That was fairly early on in my PhD, so I was still doing a lot of, of you know, research work at the time. Um, I went to Palo Alto, did some work on the Facebook search engine that they were building. And then I, I started a company uh, called Epic with, with two other guys. That was sort of in parallel while I was doing my PhD, sort of later on when I, when I was, you know, kind of past a lot of the work for the dissertation. Um, and then in terms of transition after that, you know, it was fairly organic, as I would say almost all of the transitions in my career have been. I've never really seen someone, you know, lay out a 10-year path and stick to it. I, I guess some people have done that, but I've certainly not done that. Um, so, you know, around the time I was, I had finished up defending my dissertation, uh, I was, you know, pretty sure I wanted to move on from Epic and I was, you know, looking at a bunch of different areas and one of the ones that came in sort of out of, uh, unexpectedly was D.E. Shaw, where they were looking for people with a mix of tech background and math background. And it really just ended up seeming like the right role and I ended up going there, but it, it certainly wasn't something I had planned on. Okay. I, I think it's good to hear because we, we speak to a lot of um, people in academia who have a very clearly formed uh, expectation of what they want to land in, but then stepping out into the commercial workforce, they find it's not as it seemed. Uh, and often uh, many of the senior people we interview for this podcast, similar to yourself, had a completely different background and, and it grows over time. Um, Taking us then to some of the more recent roles, you, you worked in Atheon, which is uh, within the healthcare technology space, and then Foursquare, who are you know well-known, highly respected for location data. Uh, could you give us some insight into what it was like from, from, from Atheon and then how it came to pass that you ended up taking the role in Foursquare, which was a, a very senior position? Yeah, so Etion, um they're an interesting company. They're still around. They, they work in epidemiology and essentially um, sort of analytics and, and data processing for epidemiologists. Um, and when I joined them, they were fairly small. I, I joined them before their Series A, um, built out a lot of their early platform. And so because it was a small and, and growing company, there was a lot of room for sort of wearing a lot of different hats and, and changing roles pretty quickly. And so, you know, I, I worked in a bunch of different engineering areas there and then ends up managing a couple of different teams there. When I got to the point where I decided I wanted to leave and I was looking around, um, Foursquare was an interesting place because it's, you know, different product sector, different industry, but 
um, a lot of similar engineering challenges and a lot of similar data science challenges. Um, you know, one of, one of the natural crossovers, for example, is that uh, advertising attribution, which is one of the spaces that Forstor works in, is essentially an epidemiology problem, just kind of reskinned a little bit. Um, so I ended up finding uh, an interesting role at Foursquare, um, initially working on the commercialization of, of Pilgrim, which is Foursquare's um, core location engine, which is where a lot of their data science goes and where a lot of the patents are. Um, and also working in other areas like attribution and things like that, that, that all kind of fit in this intersection of engineering and data science. Adam, I'd like to get your insight on on how you adjusted from small startups to then uh, coming into a leadership position uh, very early on. And, and could you give us some insight into to how you adapted some of the challenges that you faced early on and how you've been able to, to evolve as, uh, as a leader of a, a very complex engineering and data team? Sure, so I, I've gone in and out of management a couple times uh, you know, at DE Shaw, I was uh, an individual contributor and then moved into management. And then at Etienne, I went back to being an individual contributor and moved into management again. So I've done that, that transition a couple of times. I think a lot of companies these days, especially a lot of tech companies, have, you know, acknowledged that leadership is not the same thing as management. They're not entirely the same thing. And you've seen a lot more of these split track things starting where you can become a fairly senior leader while working as an IC or while still contributing as an engineer or as a scientist. Um, certainly companies like Google and Facebook and Foursquare all have that. Um, and so I think a lot of the same skills apply whether you're you know, leading as an IC in terms of leading efforts, leading projects, things like that, versus leading people as a manager. Things that apply kind of across the board are things around emotional intelligence and emotional maturity, which you kind of need in any role where you're not entry level, I tend to think. You know, learning how to take your vision and get people to understand it, get people to buy into it, you know, be able to hear what other people are talking about, make sense of it, translate it, connect with people, things like that. I think you have to do a lot of that as a senior engineer. I think you have to do a lot of that as any sort of project leader. Um, and of course, you have to do that anytime you're managing people. Um, and I would say each time I transitioned, you know, from company to company, the roles, it's always a little different. And often the products are a little bit different, you know, like location data and health data are not exactly the same. Um, but I think a lot of the same skills apply. And I think you see that with a lot of people making transitions, because, you know, in any industry these days, I feel like people are constantly transitioning, whether it's internal mobility or, or from company to company. And so the same skills around, you know, being able to communicate with different kinds of people, being able to process conflict and make sense of it, being able to process internal, you know, internal dynamics makes sense of it. I think that stuff tends to apply across the board. Excellent. And I think the, the emotional intelligence part is something that is, is really important to emphasize at all levels. Um, even at the, the individual contributor level, um, we get a lot of feedback from, from leaders on the importance of their team understanding the impact to, to front office and being able to communicate with non-technical people. And it, it's one of the biggest factors in determining if somebody uh, advances uh, in their career. Um, You've got some good insight in, in, in helping people transition from academia to industry from, from various leadership positions. 
um, that you've held, but also I mean, someone who's successfully navigated it. So what information do, do you provide to, to academics who, who, who start early on, whether it's be people you're managing directly or, or just from a general advice perspective, what can you, can you offer to help those um, transition well and, and embed themselves in, in the commercial setting? Well, I think like in many areas, you want to make sure you're working on jobs that are interesting to you and are, are taking you where you want to go. I think with some people in academia, you know, at least in my experience, I think some people feel a little pigeonholed early, you know, especially I encountered this when I was in my PhD program at Columbia, where some people felt like, oh, I want to go into industry, but I really want to keep doing what I've been doing for my dissertation, which is sometimes just unrealistic because dissertations are so specific. Uh, and, and in general, you know, PhD studies tends to be very specific. And I, I think, you know, most of what makes you happy in a job isn't, for at least for me, isn't the hyper-specific technical area you're in. It's the product you're working towards, the company you're working for, the people you're working with, things like that. And so I think it, it's helpful to not lock yourself in super early as like, oh, I'm a specialist in this area I'm just going to hunt for ways I can do this very specific thing. And that's not to say you can't do that. Like I, I've encountered people who are very specialized in very specific AI areas and that's all they do. And that's fine. It, it certainly limits your mobility, but it, it, it can be fine. Um, but for me, my transitions have been much more organic than that. And, you know, for example, at Foursquare, we did a lot of hiring out of, you know, various areas. We worked with multiple different boot camps and fellowship programs we hired directly from some PhD programs. And so these are, of course, transitions for everyone. It's not like a lot of people are getting PhDs in location data. We were hiring people out of physics PhD programs, you know, AI boot camps, uh, you know, someone out of a neuroscience PhD program. So you get people from all different areas. And I think if you forget some of the details for a second, a lot of PhDs, a lot of scientific programs are very similar in the kind of kind of skills they're trying to teach uh, and making use of. And so I, I guess my advice there is, you know, if you have a hyper specific thing that you just love, then great, go do that. But if you're thinking, you know, well, I'm coming out of academia, I'm coming out of a PhD, I want to find an interesting company or I want to find an interesting industry. Well, then I would stay a little bit open-minded there because, you know, you might find that some, something in FinTech or location tech or ad tech or health tech, is more similar to your skill set than you might on the surface realize. Thank you for that, Adam. Really helpful to, to hear um, your approach to bringing people from, from all backgrounds. So um, hiring a, a, an engineer or, or a data scientist who's, who's coming directly from a, a boot camp or a PhD program and embedding them into their first uh, role in a commercial data team, how do you measure uh, performance? What does good look like and, and what, what can these candidates or, or early employees uh, expect in the first six to eight months from, from a delivery perspective? From my perspective, it's the same as hiring any other engineer or data scientist, which is you, you expect them to come in and, and pick up the job and contribute. Um, you know, some of the boot camps prepare people quite well. Uh, a couple of the boot camps in New York that we work with, they get into a lot of industry tooling and they'll do little projects. So, so you're a little more up to speed on, on some of those things. But even if you're not, even if you're just, you know, someone who just got a PhD in math and now they're looking for their first job, to me, it's all the same. You're coming as an engineer and, or a data scientist, and it's 
great that you have that academic background and you know most likely you're smart and you've you're good at learning things and you'll come in and you'll learn how to use whatever tools we use and whatever software we use it's not like computer science and engineering programs are preparing people in super specific ways for these tools either you know to take what is maybe a more traditional background if you're coming through a master's program in cs uh, and now you're coming to work in a tech company it's a pretty good chance that you haven't worked with the language you know the computer languages that that company uses you might not have used the ids they use you might not have used the frameworks they used so i, I think in general when you're hiring especially you know, new people, people who are new to industry, you're not expecting them to know all of the nitty gritty details. You're expecting them to come in with intelligence. And, you know, in practice, I don't think it usually takes more than a month or so before people have kind of picked up all that stuff and they're just kind of doing their own thing. So, I, you know, if, if someone's thinking like, oh, well, I'm coming from a PhD in chemistry, I'm not going to be able to ramp up at a tech company. I don't usually buy that that sentiment. I, I think that's, that's good to hear and particularly for people who are somewhat apprehensive about making the transition I, I think the expectations are in line with the level of role the individual is being brought in on um, which is good. Um, switching it back then to, to focus on yourself and your own career journey you've you've you know had the the opportunity to work across you know the, the full remit of pure startups to your own business to working for, you know, some of the biggest tech brands and, and now in financials. So quite the variety and you've had experience in multiple industries. What keeps you interested in, in the, in the new challenges and what are you enjoying most about um, your, your progression today? Well, what I, what I enjoy most in a job is, is building things and, and building teams. Um, so, you know, any job that lets me engage in creative problem solving, you know, solve hard problems, build interesting systems that get used and impact people and lead teams, that, that's usually what's been interesting to me. And that exists at every type of company. You know, I, I think people sometimes ask me, like, should I go to startup or should I go to big companies? And I don't, I don't know how to answer that because, you know, it's a personal preference, of course, but also you might find that depending on the situation, you, you like both. You know, so for example, I was at, Facebook uh, at a time when it felt to me at least qualitatively like they were making that transition from being startup y to being a little bigger and a little more formal. And it felt like they were trying to navigate that at the time. Um, and that was an interesting thing to see. But I feel like you, you're always at, at many companies changing from one type to another. You know, being at Etion, having them go from five engineers to 25 engineers felt like a pretty big change. And at Foursquare, going from, you know, 80 engineers to 130 engineers felt like a pretty good change. And, you know, going from one engineer to four engineers can feel like a good change. So you're, you're always kind of changing how the company works. And I think all those transitions generate similar challenges, which are, you know, how do we make sure we're maintaining our level of quality of engineers? How do we make sure that the people we're bringing in are both you know, going to maintain the things we think are good about our company and also bring in new ideas. You know, are you importing enough new things? Are you retaining enough things? So I, I think those attitudes are always there. Um, and I've, I've never really targeted, oh, I really want to work at a company of this size, which people do. I've met people who are like, I always want to be at a company that's between 200 and 500 engineers. Like, that's where I work well. And that's cool. But I, I haven't 
you know, I, I haven't had that attitude for myself. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess this fits with the general theme of like, my career has been pretty organic. And I think most careers are pretty organic because opportunities come up, companies change, and you know, something can come along and you might be like, oh, I've always worked at startups, but you know, this thing from Google came in and it seems really cool. So maybe I'll talk to Google now and, and that's fine. No, I think that's helpful. It's 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 important for for people to be aware that you you, you can definitely look to focus on one industry and build up a, a level of subject matter expertise, but it, you don't need to be fearful of of a change in industry because a lot of the 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 mechanics of it are are the same, and and there's a lot to be learned by experience in multiple industries. You've now worked in in. Um, e-commerce, pure tech, healthcare, and now finance, and you're continuing to progress. So it's healthy to, to hear. Um, I'd love to focus then on your experience in, in building data teams and, and your interview process to see to see what you've learned along the way, putting the, the interview hat on, what do you look for as you screen candidates and how can, how can people better prepare? I tend to think that if you can prepare for an interview, then it's not a great interview because the whole point of an interview is to try to learn something about the person and if you know if preparation can can thwart your process that's not great obviously preparation still works but you know a couple things I've always tried to do when design interview processes is one I try to avoid too much repetition of questions especially technical questions you know some of the the really broken processes that I, I see a lot are where a company will ask you know the same five technical questions to every candidate which, you know, it gets you measurability and quantifiable comparisons, which is nice. But then, you know, anyone can go on Glassdoor and look at those five questions, prepare a really thorough answer and come in and ace the interview. And that's, I think, actually a, a quite bad situation. So I usually try to mix up questions and I try to ask a lot of open-ended questions. You know, like I really like questions of the form. Explain to me an experience you had of type X and what you did about it and how did that play out? because then you can't, you can't really prepare anything too superficial for that. But so in terms of how people prepare, you know, you can prepare for certain tech questions and that, that does help. But I think the, the better thing to prepare for is try to understand as much as you can about the company you're talking to, because the, the worst case scenario in the interview for most people, at least in tech, is not that you don't get hired, it's that you get hired and then you're unhappy. And so I think, Ideally, you go in knowing who you're talking to and then you can start to figure out what do you care about about this company and what questions can you ask. And that often, I think, leads to the more interesting interviews is when people come in with a lot of their own questions and you get a sense of what they care about and what's to make them happy and what's to make them unhappy. Um, and sometimes that'll lead to really good interviews where they're sort of like mutually coming to the same realization that it's the complete wrong job and that's a good that's a good one like when you have someone come in and they've got really good technical qualifications on paper and they start talking about what they care about and you can be like you know i'm not so sure you'd be happy here because we do this and i don't think that's actually what you want to do and then they might be like oh yeah you know what i'd really love to do is this and you can be like okay yeah then we're the wrong company for you maybe you should have talked to these guys i know and that can help you get out get rid of some of your false positives but that, that's the way I think about it. Some really great pieces of advice there um, from researching the company to ensure that it's, it's where you want to be to uh, utilizing the examples of, of previous experience demonstrating value add 
but also um, the evaluation on both sides. Whether uh, so, a candidate is is sure where their land is the right fit for them, going in with a pre predetermined idea of what they want to be doing. Um, so then focusing on on the industry as a whole look you you've got a a, a broad perspective you've you've interviewed and, and and hired many candidates ran teams at varying degrees of scale what are you most excited about um going forward to, to continue to work in, in the field of data as it as it evolves well you know i've always liked creative problem solving and i think you know working in tech and working with data generates a lot of new challenges you know for example, um, one of the interesting things working at Foursquare is a lot of the data science challenges that we would face were not really textbook challenges. They weren't ones where they were well-studied problems where you could go and say, oh, this, this previously done thing, we can just apply it. And then often, you, you know, industry forces you into, in some ways, more creative solutions than what you sometimes see in academia because the constraints are different whether it's constraints around, I need to implement this with only four people, or I need to implement this very quickly, or I need to implement this in a way that meets some privacy constraint or some commercial constraint that's unusual or I haven't seen before. And so it creates a lot of you know, interesting data science challenges that you might not ordinarily see, that you might not think to even worry about um, in, the, in a vacuum. So I think it's always fun to see the new challenges come up. Um, and, and do prompts on that way. And then the other thing that always excites me is just being able to lead people and, and develop their careers and, and make teams effective. Um, I mean, that's something that every tech company in every sector needs. And I feel like almost every tech company in every sector never has enough of is, you know, well-running effective teams where there is a clear culture to the team and people are bought into what they're doing. Um, and I think when you when you get a team to that point where you actually like trust the team and and enjoy working with them and trust they're going to solve the problems that come in, I think that's a really enjoyable thing. Excellent. And you sit in quite a unique position where you have the the technical ability, but also the hands-on leadership experience. And we see often there's a quite a divide between the two, which leads to a breakdown in communication. Um, so you've got a good perspective on it. Um, Adam, just to finish then, I'd love to get your perspective on, on, on your career choices and, and, and turn it into an, an advice, a piece of advice on individuals who are considering, uh, do they double down on being highly specialized as an individual contributor or do they look to move into leadership once they've reached a certain point? So you've, you've done both um, and it'd be good to, to get your perspective on the differences between the roles once you move toward more of a leadership versus a highly specialized individual contributor. Yeah, well, I, I think from what I've seen, most people get pulled into leadership of some kind, whether or not it's management. And I, I think a big part of why that happens is because it, in a lot of companies, your, your impact is in a lot of ways measured by how, how wide your scope of influences and how many people you can affect. And so I think a lot of companies are acknowledging that you can have that impact without being a manager. And so you see a lot of companies that have these sort of split tracks of technical leadership and people leadership, which I think can work. But, you know, I've managed people who, you know, were senior, senior engineers, principal engineers, things like that. And it's something that takes well for them to really appreciate that even though they want to be ICs, which is fine, and even though they want their impact to be technical, which is fine, 
they still need to understand how to lead people, whether it's getting people to understand the components of a project, whether it's getting product managers to understand how things work, whether it's you know, setting the tone with a, a large engineering team about what engineering process needs to look like, um, things like that. But you know, there's, there's a limit to what you know, a person in an IDE can do. And so I think the best principal engineers tend to affect very large groups of people. And you see that, you know, at a lot of large companies like Google and Facebook, where, you know, someone who is ostensibly an individual contributor may be influencing a team of one or 200 engineers very significantly. So I think you always have to, to work to, to focus on the leadership skills. That's not to say there aren't exceptions. You know, there are, you know, people who, who really do just contribute 100% at their desk in the IDE and, and can be pretty impactful, but I think you do bump into a ceiling a little bit there. Now, I think a lot of people think about, well, do I want to influence as a technical leader or as a people manager? And there, I think it, it it's, should be driven by what you enjoy, right? You know, I think I, I've certainly seen cases where people move from technical leadership to people management purely because it's either obligated or they just feel like, well, if I want to grow in my career and make more money, I got to do this. And I think those situations don't work out so well because people management is not the same job as being an engineer. And if you come into it as just a great engineer, you know, you run to a lot of the classic problems of, you know, your team hates you or they're demotivated or you communicate poorly or you just like don't engage with, the job of management in the right way. And I think, I don't think anyone really likes to work for the super smart guy who's a great engineer and doesn't care about your career. That's like the worst person to work for. So um, I do think you should go into people management if you genuinely enjoy people management. I think you should focus on technical leadership if you genuinely enjoy that. Um, I also think there are plenty of opportunities to do both. You know, I. Certainly my, my roles at Forrester and Edtown were very much both where I was managing people and certainly was a people manager in terms of the job role, the, the job scope. But, you know, technical expertise goes a long way when you're managing people, especially if you can have the kind of technical expertise where you can make sense of things without knowing all the details. I, th I think that's a skill a lot of managers could should work on and improve is can you get in a room with a bunch of principal engineers who know more than you about the details, but you know, are still work on areas where you do, where you do have technical expertise and can you make enough sense of what they're saying to then make good decisions with what they're saying? Because if you, if you, if you, if you don't bring that technical expertise, you can find yourself sort of operating by committee where you just, you know, trust everyone, listen to them, try to get consensus and then go somewhere and that can work. I mean, that's a fine way to lead people, but it's not quite as powerful as if you can also bring enough technical expertise that you can then after trusting everyone, after hearing them and listening, then figure out, okay, you know, this group is in the minority here, but actually they're seeing something that matters. And let me see if I can help everyone understand why this is actually the right direction. And things like that. So on the one hand, I don't think people should feel like they have to become people managers on the other thing. I, on the other hand, I, I think people should not feel that becoming a people manager means you're no longer involved in anything technical. Um, I, I think it can be very, very powerful to be kind of riding the middle of those two things. But at the end of the day, like, you, you know, as I kind of said before, you got to do things you enjoy. Don't feel like you're pushed down one path or the other. And if your company is pushing you down one path or the other, that might be 
something to, to reflect on about the company you work at. You know, if you work at a company where they're like, well, we don't value ICs, so you can become a people manager or you can never get promoted, uh, then that might not be a great company for, for what you want. I, I think that's a great way to finish it. It's really good to hear that there are many different paths for career progression and it really comes down to finding what you enjoy, what you're strong at and not feeling like the natural progression is leadership. There's various, various other avenues you can go to continue to be challenged and fulfilled. Adam, this has been incredibly uh, insightful. I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak. Um, good luck in your new venture and uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, great, thank you. I, I look forward to it as well. Get the Aldous Advantage. Become a member of the Aldous community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to Aldous members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldous member and get the Aldous advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldous.com. That's www.aldous.com. Aldous International, empowering through AI.